We're building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. Just before we get into today's episode, we'd like to invite you to subscribe to our weekly devotional group. Just text the two words, Promise Keepers, to 31996. Every week you'll receive a challenging devotional that will inspire you to put your faith into action in the real world. Again, text Promise Keepers to 31996. And now, here's today's show. Kevin Jessup, I have had so many people trying to get me together with you for like what two years? Mm-hmm. It's been a long time, and you said the same thing about me. Yeah. And in that two years, you had a little event in Washington D.C. called the Return. I mean, uh, it's amazing that you did it. It's amazing you pulled it off in the middle of COVID. But uh, I think it was really sowed the seeds to what I think is going to be the Lord doing the really the third great awakening in the United States, but this one's going to be across the world. Amen. Amen. Yeah. The return was an amazing day. It took about five years to plan and millions of dollars to pull off, but God was faithful and it was all about timing. And, uh, you know, we talked about at lunch today, Shabbat Shabbat happening nine 11 in 2021, but in September 26, 2020, uh, we held the return at the National Mall with about 250,000 people who came. I call them the remnant because they came as the remnant bride to do one thing, and that was to repent before the Lord for where this nation is, asking for mercy in the midst of judgment. And 250,000 people came. We broadcasted live around the world into 183 nations, 50 million people. Uh, in 90 languages in real time. So it was, a, it was a movement heard around the world. In fact, I was told uh, it was the largest broadcast ever in Christendom. Mm. And so we had the favor of God because everybody intuitively knows that we're at that place in time where many people who are in their prayer closets hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit know where we're at. Like the men of Issachar, they know the signs of the times. And there's so many people uh, around the world that are just intuitively waiting for the, the left shoe to drop. And so it was time to come and, and have a solemn, sacred assembly before the Lord, asking him, begging him for mercy in the midst of the judgment. And I believe we are in judgment right now to a certain degree, and it may increase. And so it's, it's imperative that we uh, prepare and know where we are in, in the season. Well, people hear me talk all the time about how Scripture's clear that God judges through sickness. I mean, we see Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 is talking about people taking communion without repenting and how many are fallen sick and dying. And we see in Revelation chapter 2, Christ says to the church of Thyatira, you have accepted the the teaching of that woman who calls herself a prophetess, Jezebel. Mm -hmm. And to those who haven't repented, he says, I'm killing many of you with deadly disease. And so... I feel like if this is a judgment of sickness, this COVID thing, it's it sure is a light judgment compared to what it could be. It's certainly not the bubonic plague, right? Well, I, I, I think there's going to be more to come. You know, we look at the plagues in, in Exodus and we see what uh, we see what Pharaoh faced and mm. plague after plague after plague. And he would not bend his knee. And so uh, 
I shudder to think of what it's going to take for America to come back to the ways and the will and the and 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 the word of God. And that's the foundation that we have to come to. You know, the Lord gave me three verses, Ken. He gave me Revelation three two, which is in John's uh, letter to the church at Sardis. It says, um, "You have a reputation." He's talking to the church. He says, "You have a reputation of being alive, but you're actually dead. So revive that which remains." because I'm not done with you yet. And then he says, repent, or I'll come in an hour you know not of. So we have a church in America, in the Western world, that needs to come back to the word and the will and the ways of God. The second verse he gave me was Amos 8, 11, that says, there's a famine in the land, not of bread and water, but of the very word of God. Amen. And so we've got to lift the word of God back into our national dialogue again, because that's the only thing when these dark storm clouds that we see on our horizon are racing towards us and all the shaking is done, the word of God's the only thing that's going to be left standing. And the third verse he gave me was Psalm 71, 17, where he says in Psalms, David says, from, from my youth, you taught me your wondrous deeds. And yet today, do not forsake me when I'm old and gray until I lead the next generation into an encounter with, with a holy God. So we have got to awaken a seemingly dead church in America. We've got to interject the word of God back into our national dialogue. And then we owe it to the next generation to lead them into an encounter with the Holy Spirit in such a powerful way that they hunger and thirst for the things of righteousness and truth again. You know, uh, in 1739 in the colonies, the out of birth, the out of wedlock birth rate in the colonies was 40% before the great awakening happened in 1740. And it was so mm -hmm. powerful. Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and John Wesley from um, over in, in Britain. It was so powerful that it led to the Declaration of Independence that, that laid down the freedom for all people, right? Mm -hmm. Today, the out-of-wedlock birth rate is 40%. So we've been here before. It's not like um, this is an unsurmountable thing. Satan wants us to believe it is, mm -hmm. and his minions, many of them in the press, want to, us to believe it is. But it's not. If the people of God will find their spines and start declaring the word of God with humility, but also with clarity, um, we can turn this around. Amen. Amen. And we, and we have, we have a fatherhood shortage in America Amen. and we need men of God to stand up and find their righteous backbones and stand in faith and lead their families. Once again, you know, we're calling a million men to rise up in the first hour of the day and seek the face of the Lord and lead their families back into prayer and the word once again. And, uh, you know, in the 1700s, during the first American Revolution, only 3% of the population fought the battle. 10% of the people supplied them with ammunition and, and supplies and food. And 37% uh, of the population fought against us with the British. And 50% of the people did nothing. And those numbers today are eerily true. 50% of the people are just echo chambers for YouTubes. 37% of the left-leaning ideologues are fighting against the very foundations and principles this country was founded upon. And yet there's a remnant. And that's all God ever needs. He needs that's a remnant, right. 3%. And so I think there's a, a number of people probably watching this podcast today that God's called them to be a remnant and to stand up and find their voice. And I think God's doing three things right now. I think that he is uh, cleansing his temple like he did the first time he came. And there's a separation going on inside the church. Second thing he's doing is he he's allowing uh, 
his bride to enter into the the full measure of rest. You know, in, in, in the days of the Israelites, to the prophets, to the judges, even into the New Testament in Hebrews, it says there's yet a rest to be entered into. And God's always wanted his people to enter into the rest. And this is a time where God's doing it. And, and for us to be able to enter into the rest means that uh, we, are, we are resting in the finished work of the cross, what he did. He finished it all. He's won. We, we're, we're just, we just need to walk into that rest and not go before him and not get behind him. But like Mark says, get into the yoke with him. He pulls the load. And so God is now allowing his bride to enter into the rest. And the third thing he's doing is what you just said. He's raising up people with a backbone of steel. They have no fear of man, no fear of of uh, death, no fear of anything, because the faith that is being risen up with the spirit of Elijah in people. Isaiah says, we talked about it at lunch, when, when the Lord says, I'm going to arise for the sake of my own name, then his bride will rise with him, with the spirit of Elijah. And we're about to see the greatest revival ever, the greatest awakening ever. And so I, I'm believing God that in the midst of the darkest storm, he's going to rise above it. And I'm in his boat, brother, because I can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. And he's he's more than able. And he's not about to let. Uh, America's days are not over. We're just getting started. So we started running down the road so fast we forgot to talk about the return. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us who was there and give us a little bit more information on it, because I think this really, I mean, I, I knew about it when it happened. And. I'm still blown away by what you were able to accomplish. And the pictures of the crowds are crazy. Well, the Lord did it. I mean, he we had a, an advisory board made up of people like Robert Morris and James Dobson and, and Michelle Bachman and Ann Graham Lotz and Jonathan Kahn. And we had people there like Kevin Sorbo and, and Nikki Cruz and Pat Boone and, and Mike Lindell and, and so many people. Uh, some of the greatest uh, ministry leaders around the world from Korea and Australia and, and uh, Europe and and uh, some of the biggest churches around the world, 300,000 to a million members joined in. And so we had uh, tens of thousands of simulcast partners all around the world. And God moved. I mean, we, we weren't there to talk about anybody's ministry. We're, we weren't there for any other reason than to bow before a holy God and ask him to meet us in our cry. And, and I believe that he did. It was a catalytic initiative after the return. Uh, we prayed for God's Holy Spirit to continue to move across the, the nations. And slowly, one by one, we got calls from 21 heads of state in Africa saying, can you come and do the return Africa? Which is really, a uh, I call it the seven R's. When you go from rebellion to redemption, God is a God of order. So it starts with repentance. That's the baseline. That's the very, that's the floor. Okay, so a rebellion and then we have repentance. Right. When we go from rebellion to repentance, there's a five-step process. And okay. I see it in Scripture all the time. So it starts with repentance, which leads to reconciliation. That leads to restoration. You can't have national restoration without national repentance. That's why we're glad Trump weighed in the day he did. And then, uh, then comes revival. And then finally, reformation after revival. So we're on the path to revival, but it starts with repentance. This is where we mm -hmm. humble ourselves before God. And so, you know, Second Chronicles 7, 14. So we're thankful that the Lord hears our cries. And we're thankful that 
he can protect us, provide for us, put a shield around us. And uh, that's what I believe he's doing around America now. So, and, and then we, we went uh, from Australia, four and a half million people watched on YouTube uh, all across Asia and Australia. We have about uh, uh, 105,000 pastors now have joined in Pakistan and, and India to the return, which is sweeping the, the, the repentance movement is sweeping uh, Asia. We have 600,000 churches now that have come on board with us. We're partnering with people in South and Central America. And on the 15th of this month, just the other day, we had uh, the Lion Roars Conference out of Norway. It went all across Europe. So God is doing what he's doing. And so when the Holy Spirit's moving, it's like the, the wind of the Spirit. We just set our sail to the wind of the Spirit, and we catch the wind that he's moving. We're not asking him to join our movement. We're joining the movement of God. And as he does it, we just join in. So 20% of the population of Australia, unless you had people watch it five times. No, we 20% had... 20% watched that event. Yeah, we had... He, Steve Ciccolani was one of our great pastors down there. He's got, uh, I think, 450,000 followers in America alone. So we had people in houses, uh, packed into houses and packed into churches all across the land. I think I don't know whether I showed you the... The, the picture of the simulcast partners we had around America, but they were in all 50 states. Uh, I mean, tens of thousands. How did you get a quarter of a million people together in D.C. in September of 2020? When everybody was huddling in fear in their house, you get a quarter of a million people together. Prayer, prayer. And and we prayed, and then we, we shot a couple of TV commercials, and they went out on Fox News, and and we started uh, talking about it, and we, we had a whole team of people behind the scenes calling every church in America, and uh, people rose up, and, and they flooded the city. When you couldn't get a hotel room, you couldn't get a car inside the city. I mean, it was difficult, but people came, and I actually believe, had it not been COVID, we would have had well over a million people there. But people are hungry for truth. People are hungry for righteousness. They're, they... Uh, like I said a minute ago, intuitively, people know where we are in time. Let me ask you a, a sort of negative question, but um, what were you disappointed by? I mean, you had this huge thing come together, and I, I'm sure there had to have been some things, some people, you don't have to give names, but what are the things that really surprised you in a negative way, and then after that in a positive way? Wow. Uh, I don't know that I have much negative. Uh, just... I think maybe personally, my heart breaks for where the heart of God is. I, I believe God, you know, in my own personal prayer time, I ask the Lord to share his heart with me. And it's it's broken. I mean, we have, a, in this nation, we've now aborted 60 million babies. We've redefined the greatest institution that God ever gave us, which was marriage. And, and the whole Bible is just a story about a marriage, a father looking for a virtuous bride for his son. That's the whole story of the Bible. And so the greatest institution God gave us was marriage. And, and uh, I know that you and I share the same uh, thoughts and feelings about uh, where we are with pornography. That's like a tsunami of destruction sweeping through our churches. And men face this problem of pornography that's so difficult to get unleashed from. 
that they really they need help. In fact, our good friend Jeremy Wiles wrote, did a series called the Conqueror Series that helps lead men out of pornography into freedom and turn them into a weapon against the enemy. And, and this is needed now more than ever. Pure marriages, uh, you know, every more than 50% of the marriages end up in divorce. We have young people across the, the land over the last two generations that do, they don't have fathers. And uh, so we, we've seen the ramifications and consequences of all of those things. And so the, I, I believe that the left and, and those that are not following Christ, Christ followers, they, they want to push God completely out of the country. They want to shut down every single church in America and they want to redefine the family unit and they're doing it and we're watching it. And many of us are, are sickened by it. And so we, we, we pray and we get together. And so when, when pure events come together to call upon the name of the Lord, the return was successful because no planning or logistics. It was just people knew that if we don't get on our knees now, uh, we're losing America. You know, one of the things I like about your message is that one of the problems the church has had now for 100 years is we're trying to clean people from the outside. The outside of the cup, well, the inside of the cup is still dirty. You yeah. Know? And it all happens with repentance because I tell guys all the time, pornography is destroying your soul. It's destroying your family. It's destroying mm-hmm. America. But you're not going to get out of pornography by trying harder to not look at it. All no. you're going to do is not look at it for a few days and then feel bad. And the devil's going to be right there to tell you what a failure you are. Mm-hmm. They're going to stop looking at it when you repent, when you're filled with the spirit and God changes what you find desirable. Because Amen. to guys like you and me, the idea of looking at pornography is disgusting. I mean, there's, there's nothing titillating, mm-hmm. not in the least about it. All I can see is an abused woman making a film for a bunch of perverted men to look at. Yeah. And it makes me just so horrified at the thought. But, you know, what did Jesus say? If your eye causes you to stumble, cut it out of your head, meaning mm-hmm. stop now. What do I need to do to stop now? And I've had, I've said that on this podcast a few times, but I had a famous leader tell me to stop preaching repentance on pornography. He said, Ken, you know, um, guys have trauma from their childhood. They've got psychological issues and you can't just tell them that they need to repent. They need counseling. And I said, so I, I shouldn't say if your eye causes you to stumble, cut it out of your head. It's better to enter heaven with one eye than to hell with two, right? I shouldn't say that. Is that, no, is that a bad message? No, that's what I'll tell you, I'll preach Jesus' message. Yeah, man. But... You know, stop now if you need counseling, go get counseling, but you need to repent. And so, uh, and your family and your wife and your kids, there's no way any man is looking at pornography and teaching his daughter how to have proper self-esteem. There's no way he's teaching his sons how to have self-control. And there's no way he's making his wife feel cherished and loved. Amen. Amen. It's like a bad poison that gets into you and it just festers. And then I've watched men actually be overtaken by their mind, in their minds, by these images and uh, the Holy Spirit can't dwell in a polluted vessel. And the only way to cleanse the vessel is to totally surrender unto the Lord. And when he comes in and he cleans house, then, then it's our job to keep it clean. And, that, and that's a struggle. You know, Paul says, I do the things I don't want to do and the things I want to do I can't do. Romans but 7. that's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit comes in, he, I mean, you know, you can't change your emotional state only that i know some people that are wacky emotionally but when the holy spirit comes in and begins to do his refining work by the fire of the holy spirit and and it's like that that pot of gold the refining fire 
takes the dross off. And when the master looks at it, he sees his, his own image. So when, when we die, there's no such thing as a painless Pentecost. You can't have an upper room experience until you've gone into the tomb first. Mm. So when we go into the tomb with Christ and we die, then the Holy Spirit comes and he lives in us and then through us. And, and it's not me. It's Christ living in me, through me. And that, that's the, the greatest thing. I don't want to you know, wake up one day before the Lord and say, I missed my opportunity to have you dwell and live through my vessel. Because he's, what he did, he paid the price. He ransomed us with such a great price. His blood, his, what he went through at the cross is, is, is the most amazing story. That is the gospel. Paul said, uh, anybody that preaches anything other than Christ crucified, let him be accursed. The whole gospel is what Je Jesus comes down from heaven and becomes a living sacrifice so that I may be imputed his righteousness because I have none. There's nothing good in me except the Holy Spirit. And so I want all the full measure of the Holy Spirit. And, and you know, the, the Bible is, is, is milk, meat, bread, honey. It's a four-course meal. And so the Lord says, I want to come and dine with you. I want to have supper with you. And one day I said, what, what would I serve the Lord if he came to my house? So I looked through the cupboards and I said, he's not going to want any of this stuff. And finally, the Holy Spirit said, he wants the fruits. And on that day, I actually bowed in my, in my kitchen and I said, Lord, I don't have enough fruit. You know, the fruits of the Spirit, gentleness, kindness, meekness, all of these things. And I said, Lord... May I digest your word like a four-course meal, and may it produce the fruit in me that you can come and eat my fruit, if you know what I mean. So this is a dialogue. It's not a monologue. I don't go to the Lord and say, you know, help me do this. No, I, I want to go to the Lord and say, you become the center core of who I am. You flow through me. You, you live your life through me, and that's a death and, a, and life. You know, when Jesus was crucified, it was in the death that he gave life when they pierced his side with that roman spear and blood and water came out he birthed the church right there so in his death on a tree that tree was meant for death but it gave life and 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 he is the tree of life he's the bread of life and so uh you know i was in a, i was a pretty bad guy as a young man and god uh, reached down into the, with his long arm of salvation. You know the, the story of the Chilean miners. They're stuck down there in that pit for 17 days with no way out. And somebody devised this man-made contraption that went down and one by one we watched as they got all pulled out. And I felt like that's what God did to me. He reached down and he pulled me out of a pit I couldn't get out of. And I'm so grateful to the Lord. And uh, he became my savior, but then then eventually he became my Lord, and that's the key. So uh, that's what we're trying to do now. We're trying to raise up men of God, and thank God for you coming into this uh, organization, Promise Keepers, and you've been given a Herculean task, and it's only by prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit that you're going to be successful here. And there's a lot of men or joining with you, and, and it's beginning to snowball, it's beginning to grow. And men know that uh, we don't need a resistance, we need a manifestation of the sons of the living God. And men are beginning now to, to, to feel that spirit of Elijah. They're getting hungry for truth, they're getting hungry for the Word of God again. And so you are bringing together all of these people that 
are uniting and standing together for this purpose of taking back our nation to stand on the principles of which we were founded on, which is the Word of God. And so thank you for the calling and answering the calling. You've been through hell and back, and you're still pressing forward. So I thank the Lord that not only did he call you, but you answered the call, and you're standing in the gap for this nation in ways that uh, without promise keepers and other men's organizations that are joining yours, we may not take back America. So I believe with your help and what God's called you to do, we can. So thank you. Thank you. Well, after we take this little break, I want to talk about how I only want to get 80,000 guys together, so that's nothing for you. So how are we going to get 80,000 guys in that stadium, how important it is, and what we can do to grab this country and the church back? Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities, like Promise Keepers, by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan, utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. And now, back to today's show. Promise Keepers is back, and we're relaunching the stadium events that brought millions of men to Christ. Join us this July at AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Texas, for a men's conference like no other. Strengthen your soul with unforgettable worship led by top Christian artists. Form friendships with brothers in Christ that last a lifetime, and discover new tools and strategies that will empower you to follow Jesus more faithfully. Be sure to get your tickets before they sell out or find a simulcast location near you. Visit www.promisekeepersevent.com for the latest information. We'll see you this summer. So I'm sitting here with Kevin Jessup from The Return. You had a quarter of a million people get together in D.C. You had, what, 50 million people reached across the world in how many countries? 183 nations. I didn't know there were 183 nations. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we reached 84 for, with Promise Keepers, and I, I thought that was impressive. And I was looking through some of the names going, where's Sierra Leone? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's 230 people in Sierra Leone watch this, and I have no idea where it is. Turns out it's in Africa. Yeah. yeah you probably it knew sure that. sure is, yeah. But you, went to, you got a good college education. Mine was a iffy. I, I was got intoxicated through too much of mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it strikes me, you know, we are now having churches jump on board with Promise Keepers. It, it's been, you're, you talked before the break about how I've been to hell and back, and you're right, man. I mean, it's been trying to wake up the men. Waking up individual men is easy. You know, talking to guys and they get charged up. But the institution of Christian men, it's been like trying to kick a corpse. Like, wake up, man. Let's go. Let's go. Hurting let's cats. go. Ugh. But they're really starting to jump on and 
thank the Lord for Robert Morrison Gateway Church, about 10,000 tickets mm. and got the ball, ro ball rolling for us. Mm. And so um, we are going to see an explosion. And Promise Keepers on July 16th and 17th is going to be really the first major gathering in the world since COVID sort of started to fade away. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to be a national news story. It's going to be massive. But I think the point you've been making, that, that will be a call for repentance. But what's going to get us there is prayer. And unfortunately, in the church nowadays, you know, people say, well, what can I do for you? And you say prayer and they, you know, like, well, no, that's a huge deal that mm -hmm. I don't understand prayer. I really don't. That somehow when the people of God are on their knees, seeking him with genuineness and relationship, somehow it alters history. Somehow, however he set up the universe, it gives great power to accomplish his will when his people are praying. And when they're not, when they're complacent, they're, they're not. And so I think that's why Satan right now has, especially men, he's taken away their identity. He's taken away their power. So they're passive. They're checked out. They think they can't make any difference. So they'd rather just play video games or watch football or go golfing. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things on their own. But there's no power to change the world. He is, he is, the Satan has literally lulled the men of America to sleep. You know, we have men who are, titans of industry. They run billion-dollar corporations. And then when they come to church on Sunday, they're handed a box of pencils and say, hand these out. And you know, men are warriors. And so when we look at the Western church today, thank God for the women because they've carried the, the bucket. But men have to arise and uh, and and walk come back into the faith in a way that they're leading their families they're not relying on their wives and uh, thank god for our wives my wife is my strength she's my prayer covering she's an incredible woman of god but but it's time for men to lead their families again you know the walton's little house on the prairie those programs were so uh, such hits because the families worked together they ate together they worshiped together they 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 did education together. They, they were, those programs were hits because people longed to go back to those days. And I think we're headed there. But these three words that God gave me, arise, align, and activate. You know, in, in, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. That's good. If yeah. you take the Old Testament out of the New Testament, there's not much New Testament because it's all the revelation of what we saw foreshadowed in, in, the, in, the, in the Old Testament. For example, in Ezekiel 1.10, Ezekiel's around the throne of God and he has this vision and he sees these four faces, the cherubim around the throne, and it's the face of a lion, the face of, a, uh, of, a, of an ox, the face of an eagle, and the face of a man, these four faces. And, and when in the Old Testament, when... Jacob blessed the 12 sons of Israel, his 12 sons. He gave them all assignments, and Moses aligned them around the tent of meeting where the presence of God dwelt. And so you have three tribes on all four sides, 12 tribes around the presence of God in the tent of meeting. And, and, and the amazing thing is there was a banner in the center of those three tribes on each side, and the banners over the, around the tent of meeting were the lion, the ox, the eagle, and the man. Now, these are the four characteristics of Jesus. So in the New Testament, 
you have 12 authors in the New Testament. And it's there's there's four on the... I look at the New Testament like a, a three-story house. Mm-hmm. You've got four uh, writers on the first, four authors on the second floor, and four authors on the third floor. So when you look at the, the first floor of the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the foundation. Matthew is written in the theme of the lion. The lawgiver, the judge, the Beatitudes are all in Matthew. Mark is written in the theme of the ox. My my yoke is easy, my burden is light, get in my yoke. And and Luke is written in the theme of the eagle. Like Isaiah 40, 31 says, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So when that word wait in Hebrew means when we wait upon God, we're, we're uh, coming together with his purposes. We're binding together with his purposes. And finally, John is just a man. He's, we're just men like Jesus became, but yet we're filled with the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so those are the four faces, again, in the New Testament of Christ. And so uh, then we have the staircase acts going up to the second floor, which is Paul and Timothy and Theophilus and the co-writers who write the Pauline epistles. This is the instruction to the church. How do we operate? And there's a second staircase going to the third floor called Hebrews. This is a, a book written to the Jews. And then the, the, the four revelatory authors, we wind up in Revelation 4-7 where John is also around the throne, the same as Ezekiel was in the Old Testament, and he sees the 24 elders, the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. And they're all around the throne seeing these four faces again, the lion, the ox, the the eagle, and the man. And they are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they're worshiping those four faces, which are the cherubim, which are the very attributes and characteristics of Christ. And now we go back to Joseph in the Bible, who's written more about Joseph than anybody other than Jesus. And Jesus's life in the New Testament parallels exactly Joseph's life. Joseph had five garments, and the book is called Five Garments and Four Faces, and I'll tie it together. Joseph had been given five garments. The first one was the coat of many colors by his father. It was very priestly and prophetic, and he saw everything. And he told it to his brothers who hated him for it. The second garment he had was the one that he left behind when he was wrongly accused of Potiphar's house. The third garment was the one that he wore in prison. The fourth garment was the one that he wore, if only for a moment, to go speak a word of wisdom to Pharaoh. And the fifth garment is what he wore when he ruled and reigned and he revealed himself to his brothers. Jesus had the same exact life in the New Testament that Joseph did. So in between the changing for all of us, this process of changing these five garments in our life, God is perfecting one, two, three, four faces of anointing. His very characteristics and attributes are being refined in us by the power of the the fire of the Holy Spirit. So God is now refining people who are walking through this journey. And as we change our garments to finally enter into our, our wedding garment, he's been refining us the whole time. So what I'm seeing is God is culminating the experiences of people's lives now for the closure or what we call the consummation before his return. God is preparing his bride. You know, sometimes I think 
We failed in evangelizing the world. And right now we're at a time where God's going to evangelize them. He's going to reveal himself. And, and people are going to know this is a movement of God. This awakening that's coming is a sovereign move of God. We can't evangelize them like the great awakenings of, of old God's going to do it himself. But he's going to use people that have been tested, tried, found true. And so if you feel like you're out there and you're in this process of refinement, it's because God is about to use you. And if you haven't been through the process of refinement, you're almost out of time. So it's time to just say, Lord, I surrender everything unto you. I ask that your Holy Spirit refine me and prepare me because we're headed towards the greatest seek and rescue mission of all time. This is when, like Paul at the shipwreck of Malta, he said, send your strong swimmers first. And as this ship breaks up, and America's the Titanic, we're taking on water. As the ship breaks up, all the strong swimmers went first. When they got hip deep in water, they turned around and they looked for those who were floundering. And with that advice, they saved every soul on board. So as we see America crashing and drowning, it's those of us who've been processed and refined that are, are going to be the anchor in the storm. We're going to be running across people who are looking for the peace that we have that God's given us because we've been tested. So the greatest thing you can do is surrender unto the Lord and supernaturally he'll pull you out of that pit and he'll lead you in the way of, of Christ. And that's the greatest thing. I don't want to ever stand before the Lord one day and say, I didn't warn the people, I didn't tell the people. Ezekiel says, man of God, I gave you a word to preach. Mm -hmm. And if these people die in their sin and iniquity, well, their blood's you on your hands. So we love people. We don't have a message of judgment, but there is a judgment coming. And so if we don't die of ourselves and let Christ live through us, we're going to miss it. And one last thing. When I was traveling with Reinhard Bonnke, we had a 78-year-old woman who came to Christ that night. She was so overjoyed. She was so happy. And she was elated because she found the truth. She'd been set free, and she was just excited to be in the arms of Jesus. The next night, she came back to the next meeting, and she came up to the altar, and she was weeping. And she said, oh, I, I don't, I'm so distraught. And, and Vonky said, why, why, why? What's wrong? Last night, you were elated. And she said, I went home, and I realized I wasted 78 years of my life, not serving the king. And I don't know how to get that back. I don't know what I can do with my life now. And I'll never forget his response. He said, dear ma'am, it's not how long your furrow is. It's how deep it is. And right now you're deeper than many who've walked with Christ for 50 years. So God's a restorer. He can make up all that time in one day. And so I thank the Lord that he's a restorer. He's a reconciler. And, and, and Ken, with what he's called you to do, we're about to see a global revival. And so I'm with you, brother. I stand with you. I pray for you. We undergird you. If we can get the word out to, to millions of men across America, we, we, need, we don't need 80,000. We need, we need 700,000 in the parking lot outside mm -hmm. the stadium. We need to fill the stadium, the parking lot, and everywhere across this nation. And we need men to stand up and begin to be men again in their homes and and strengthen their families and their marriages. And, and they do that by submitting themselves unto the Lord. So thank you for what you're doing. Oh, thank you, man. I, I feel like you know, God's not trying to bring back promise keepers. He's trying to wake up men. Amen. And promise keepers is the bowl in which he's doing it. It's the trusted name that can attract people. But 
this God's not trying to redo the nineties. This is a whole new movement. Amen. What you're talking about is unfortunately radical. It's it's not radical in that it's the Bible, but it's radical to a lot of evangelical Christians today who do want to throw out the Old Testament because God was mean. And and Christians like the nice little baby Jesus, you know, the one the little hippie Jesus that yeah. loves them for no matter what and, and no matter what they do, he's just hoping that they'll be good. But if they're not, it's okay, he loves them anyway. And we don't teach the whole Jesus in, in the Bible and, and anymore. And people, I say this all the time, people don't realize they're not worshiping Jesus. They're worshiping an idol named Jesus. That's right. If I say to you, um, I know John Wayne. John Wayne is my good friend. And, and you say, I know John Wayne too. And we start talking about John Wayne, but I'm talking about the guy that runs the deli on 42nd Street in New York. And you're talking about the guy who's the famous actor. We may be both talking about a guy named John Wayne, but we, we ain't both talking about John Wayne, right? Yeah. And a lot of... People's Jesus today is the guy running a deli on 42nd Street. He ain't got any power. He's just some guy. And uh, you're talking about life transformational Christ. And that begins, you know, we can argue all day long about belief in Jesus leads to salvation. Yes. Do you need repentance? Yes. Well, is it salvation by works? No, because if you believe in Jesus, you will repent. Mm -hmm. If I believe in gravity, I'm not going to jump off the top of the building that we're in. Yeah. Right. So... That transformational message that you're preaching right now is the one that's got to go out to the world. God is 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 looking for men. He's he's looking for men. You know, God is on the throne. Jesus is by his right hand, ever interceding for us. And the third part of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, is down here on earth, superintending the perfect will of the Father in heaven. So what we're praying for is a heaven-to-earth work. When you come into alignment, with the perfect will of God in heaven, Jesus says to the Father, uh, Ken and Kevin are in perfect will with you, Father. They have not their own agenda, but they have your agenda. And the Father says to Jesus, tell the Holy Spirit, superintending the earth, whatever they need, resources, finances, uh, open doors, divine appointments, right now, give it to them. And, and that's what happens. The Father... When we come into alignment with his will, the Holy Spirit begins to superintend on earth as it is in heaven. And when that happens, you see miracles happen. When the glory of God comes to earth, you don't have to beg. You don't have to, to stand in some healing line. Wh wherever you are, when the glory comes, the weightiness of the glory of God, if you're in that, that area of the presence of God when it comes, you're healed. You know, nobody has to pray for you, touch you, or anything. I mean, the the holy the the weight of the glory of God just healing comes with it, salvation comes with it, and so we we don't need another program. We need the presence. Forget the programs. We need the presence again. And so when the presence of God comes, because we're yearning for it, we're, I mean, the Word of God becomes the most important thing. We're praying it. We're singing it. We're meditating upon it. It's all that we have. And when it consumes us, it manifests this glory. And when the glory comes, supernaturally things begin to happen. And that's what we're, that's what we're needing now. We need the glory of God to enter every home in America. We, I pray for the altars across this nation, inside the homes, that the fathers will tell their, 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 their wives and their kids, we're going to join every morning together or every evening together in family prayer. And when the family, where the father goes, the family goes, and where the family goes, the church goes. And where the church goes, we have impact. But it all starts with the fathers. 
So as we wrap up, if I'm listening to this right now and I'm saying, I, I want to be like that. I want to be transformed like that. I heard mm-hmm. Kevin's words. They're, they're amazing. They're life-giving, but I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. What do you say to that guy out there right now? Well, the greatest thing is, is to succumb to the Lord. And, you know, I, I talked to a man one time and he said, well, if we, if we push repentance, it'll, it'll follow the Obama apology tour. And we don't want to, repentance is weakness. Repentance is not weakness. When, when I'm weak, he becomes strong. And so I lay my life down for my wife and my family. I lay my life down and I say, Lord, please come and you reside in me. You come and live in me and through me. And when that happens, your whole life becomes an adventure. And it's not your own. You're not saying, you're not climbing the ladder of success. You're not, you know, the Lord will lift you up. When you think better of others, the Lord will lift you up. If you're trying to, you know, lift yourself up, he'll abase you. And so full and complete, total surrender under the Lord is where we become broken. And in the brokenness, he remolds us into this beautiful thing. And so I would urge you men, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're having problem with uh, pornography, turn it off and open the Bible. Begin to read the Bible. Start in the book of John. But the Bible, as it gets into you, it will change your DNA. I guarantee it. And, and, and so as we read the Bible and we start to ask the Holy Spirit, you know, every word in the Bible is like a capsule, Ken. And when we go into the presence of God, because you can read the Bible and go, what is all this stuff? But when you lay down your Bible and you say, Lord, speak to me, the Holy Spirit will reveal the word on the page. It'll come alive. So every word in the Bible is like a capsule. And when you go to the Lord and you say, show me who you are, Lord, the Lord will pop open the capsule of of his word and light comes out and it dispels all the darkness and the word of God becomes a living organism. And as the light enters you, the darkness will go away. And so I beg you men across America today, open up the word of God, ask the Holy Spirit to pop open the capsule where the light comes out. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the washing of the water of the word. The, the word is like the water. It cleanses and it, and it purifies us. So get hungry for the real beef. Get hungry for the word of God. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by the very word that proceeds from his mouth. And so we like a good steak, but I like a good Bible. <laughs> you know what I mean? So praise God. I don't think I could say anything better than that, man. Thanks for, uh, good to know you, brother. Love you, Ken. Appreciate you more than you know. Thanks for listening to On the Edge Podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison.
This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.